For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Profound and wondrous Dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. Now I can see and hear it, accept and maintain it. May I unfold the meaning of the Tathagata's truth. So, welcome everyone. We have this unusual situation of being at the uh, Ancient Dragon Ebenezer Zendo and the Ancient Dragon Zoom Room and the Milwaukee Zen Center. And I uh, imagine there are people in on Zoom from Milwaukee as well. Uh, so I'm uh, very pleased to introduce uh, Rayren Gumbel, who is the teacher at the Milwaukee Zen Center and a close relative. <laughs> uh, Rayren is the uh, Dharma successor of my, my Dharma sister, Fu Schrader, abbess at Green Gulch Farm. Fu and I were amongst the first ordinees by uh, Tensioner Anderson. So we're very, we're very close geographically and we're very close dharmically. And um, I'm just very happy to have you here with us, Raven. So uh, welcome. Thank you very much. So um, we're not chanting the we chanted the sutra opening verse already, okay. some of us. yeah. Okay, good. Well, thank you for inviting me. And it's so wonderful to be with our sister temple in Chicago. And I hope that soon we can all be together in person. Uh, I certainly think that I will travel to Chicago this summer. And yeah, today is a very special day. It's the vernal equinox which we are celebrating because now the days will be getting longer. The sun is right opposite the equator now. And so day and night are the same length, 12 hours. And from now on, the days will be longer than the nights. And we're all quite happy about that. <laughs> so this is the moment which is really important for us for agriculture, but also for many indigenous people who are celebrating light over darkness. And this is not just, a, as I'm going to talk about, it's not just a physical thing, you know. Um, so we're, ch- we're chanting usually at the Zen Center. For this day, we chant the harmony of difference and equality, the Sandokai, which is also a, a, a sutra on your website I saw, which is, of course, a fundamental text for Soto Zen. It's a poem by the 8th century Chan master Shuto Chikyan, Sekito Kisen in Japanese, in which he elucidates the foundational Buddhist teaching of the non-duality of the absolute and the relative aspect of reality. And so this text is very fundamental for Soto Zen and is also part of the transmission from teacher to disciple. In this poem, Shutu uses light and dark as examples for the interdependent nature of any duality. He says, light and dark oppose one another like front and back foot in walking. In the same way that we cannot walk with just one foot, There cannot be light without darkness. And this is true for any duality. We live in the world of duality. This is where we are. And we usually tend to like one of the pair better than the other. And we need to understand that attachment to either side is suffering. That's what the Buddha told us. But when we can see that all the opposites need each other, we cannot get rid of one. You know, 
and not of the other. It's, it's, they're always related. And he says here, in the light, there is darkness, but don't take it as darkness. In the dark, there is light, but don't see it as light. As soon as we name something, we think we know what it is. And we don't think any further. We don't look any further. The human mind tends to reify our experience, to make it into something real. That's what reify means. We make it into something, and, and something real, autonomous, permanent, solid, absolute. But nothing in this world is absolute. Everything is contingent on everything else. As the late Thich Nhat Hanh so famously demonstrated in this simile of the piece of paper, just as this piece of paper is dependent on everything around. It comes from wood or bamboo, was made into pulp, and it grew on a tree or in the forest, and it had to be cut down. But the tree itself had to grow. It had needed nutrients. It needed light and air and all these different things that make something grow in order to become the tree and then in order to become wood and in order to become paper. So all of these things are interdependent and all the people who were included and involved in this process are also part of this. There is nothing that is outside of anything. And this is a really tricky teaching, but when we look closely at anything, we can see that this is true. So when we are curious about our assumptions, we find that things are quite different from what we had imagined. For instance, we had presumed for a long time that the bottom of the deep ocean is completely dark. Of course, there are, you know, layers of water. If you, the further you go down, 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 the darker it gets. Okay, so we thought, well, at the bottom, it has to be really completely dark. But no, there was a diver who went all the way down and she reported, it's like the 4th of July down here. <laughs> wow. Yes, this is called bioluminescence. So there are little, you know, all kinds of little beings that live in the dark that have somehow a capacity to create light like fireflies and as I said before light is not only physical but it's also a mental phenomenon we know that we can see light in dreams even when our eyes are closed and the room is completely dark We, we see light in, in our dreams. And there's even clinical evidence that blindness can be a mental phenomenon. A woman who had a dissociated in, uh, identity disorder, DID, which is a mental health condition where a woman, where anybody takes on a different persona and really thinks that they are that person, And they can switch, and there may be even more people than one in one person. And this is not just not very uncommon. That, that I actually know about um, Pessoa. Uh, what's his name? Francisco or Ricardo? I'm not sure. But Pessoa, the the poet who had like 150 different personas that he was using in his work, and he was aware of that that he was doing that. Now, for this woman, I think she didn't even know that she was doing it, but she. Um, said she was blind. And people said, well, I mean, your eyes are working, your, everything is normal, and you should be able to see. She said, no, I can't see. I'm, I'm completely blind. So they checked her brain, and they found that when they put the electrodes on, which we can do now, and, and see what's happening there in the brain, they saw that her visual cortex was not working. There was nothing was happening. So she actually really couldn't see. 
And then when she went into her usual persona, she was able to see again. So it's a very strange phenomenon, but it, it seems to happen. We also find light in many spiritual teachings. Vairochana Buddha is the Buddha always tranquil light, and Amitabha Buddha is infinite light, Amida. And in the Tibetan book of Living and Dying, the dying person is advised to go for the light, to go towards the light, which will help the transition. So light is often seen as wisdom. Enlightenment itself is about light. And just as light stands for wisdom, so darkness can be seen as ignorance or delusion. You know the, the story about the blind men who were touching an elephant, but each one of them, they were blind and they were touching different parts of the elephant. And, they, and one said, well, the elephant is like a rope when they were touching and holding the, the tail. No, the, the elephant is like a tree trunk when they have the, the leg. And, and one said, no, it's like a fan when they touch the ear. So they all had, it wasn't quite wrong, but they, had, they didn't have the whole picture of the whole elephant, who is all of these parts, right? So this is how we are. We see things, we see little parts of reality, very limited. And it's quite You know, when we look at our sense organs, of course, um, we can't see like an eagle or as sharp, listen, you know, hear as, as sharply as a dog, for instance. So there are, we don't have these capacities that we could see everything as it is. So that's okay. We can live with that. Actually, it really helps to live that way. It would be overwhelming if we could really see if our all of our senses were completely sharp. So it is no coincidence that Shirtu uses light and dark as metaphors for the two aspects of reality. The spiritual source shines clear in the light, the branching streams flow on in the dark. The name of the poem, Sando Kai, or San Tung Shi in Chinese, is translated in many ways. Merging of difference and unity, or we are saying equality, um, agreement of difference and unity, harmony of difference and sameness, harmonious song of difference and sameness, identity of relative and absolute, and all these different ways of trying to say what this means And Suzuki Roshi, who is uh, both Tigan and my root teacher, who started, who founded San Francisco Zen Center, he uh, gave these lectures on the Sandokai, um, Zen talks on the Sandokai, that was in summer of 1970. And he says here, San literally means tree, but here it means things. Do is sameness. To identify one thing with another is do. It also refers to oneness or one's whole being, which here means great mind or big mind. So our understanding is that there is one whole being that includes everything and that the many things are found in one whole being. Although we say many beings, They're actually the many parts of one whole being that includes everything. If you say many, it is many. And if you say one, it is one. Many and one are different ways of describing one whole being. To completely understand the relationship between one great whole being and the many facets of that one great whole being is kai. Kai means to shake hands. You have a feeling of friendship. You feel that the two of you are one. It is the same in the same way, this one great whole being and the many things are good friends, or more than good friends, because they're originally one. 
So here light stands for conventional reality, G, where we see each phenomenon separately. We see the many. And dark is the metaphor for ultimate reality or emptiness, re, where there are no inherently existing things. That's why everything is one. So now you see them different. It's just a metaphor, right? Both of these are different aspects of the same reality, and they are shaking hands or in harmony with each other. So Sandokai, harmony of the many and the one. The Buddha told his monks not to attach to extremes, but follow the middle path, because attachment is the cause of suffering. In the Majamaka or middle way school, uh, they, teach two, they teach two truths, the conventional truth and the ultimate truth. The conventional holds that phenomena exist in a provisional manner. They can be said to be conventionally arising every moment, arising and ceasing constantly. An ultimate truth means that all phenomena are empty of any independent self-nature or existence. As it says in the Heart Sutra, from the viewpoint of emptiness, there are no things. It's all, there's nothing there. But that's only seen from that aspect, right? Uh, Nagarjuna says in the Mula Majamaka Karika, the verses of the middle way, he says, without a foundation in the conventional truth, the significance of the ultimate cannot be taught. Without understanding the significance of the ultimate, liberation is not achieved. So we do need both. The Tendai or Tiantai school arrives at a compromise and adds a third truth, the middle truth, which transcends all dualities and avoids all extremes, such as existence and non-existence or being and emptiness, mundane truth, real truth, or defilement and purity. So there is this third between those conventional and ultimate truth. There is the middle. And the Yogacara school claims that all experience is mind only. It's all created. All, all only ex- you, We can only experience it through the mind, whatever there is. And also that Buddha already said in the first first verse in the Dhammapada, all experience is preceded by mind, is led by mind, is made by mind. Now, Zen does not sign on to any one school, though we do study them all and we learn from them. But most importantly, we emphasize practice. When we just sit in silence and look closely at our own experience, our own body-mind, we can start to awaken to the truth of existence. We understand that there is more to reality than what appears on the surface. At the same time, as we seem to be individual entities, we are independent We are also related to all other beings through our physical bodies and our consciousness. So we're interdependent at the same time. And this is where we need to start with this body-mind. Shakyamuni Buddha was once asked, Lord, the world's end where one neither is born, nor ages, nor dies, nor passes away, nor reappears, is it possible to be known or seen or reached? by traveling there? Friend, that there is a world's end where one neither is born, nor ages, nor dies, nor passes away, nor reappears, which is to be known or seen or reached by traveling there, that I do not say. Yet, I do not say that there is ending of suffering without reaching the world's end. Rather, it is in this fathom-long carcass with its perceptions and its mind that I describe the world, the origin of the world, the cessation of the world, and the way leading to the cessation of the world. 
So the, earth, the world's end means the end of suffering, nirvana. Nirvana is not different from this body-mind. In fact, it's the only access we have. Master Joshu, Zhaoju, also a Chinese Zen master, was asked once by a disciple, before the world existed, there was already the original nature. When the world is destroyed, true nature is not destroyed. What is this indestructible nature? Joshua said, four great elements and five skandhas. The monk said, but they are destroyed. What is this indestructible nature? Joshua said, four great elements and five skandhas. That's all that this nature is. That's the self. This is all we have, actually. The four elements that make up form and the five skandhas, form, sensations, perceptions, formations, and consciousness. There was no talk about Buddha nature during the Buddha's time, as, as much as I know. He did, however, have an awakening to the ultimate nature of reality, which is this possibility from, of freedom from suffering. And therefore, nirvana. He taught that everyone has this nature and access to liberation from suffering if we cultivate uprightness and non-attachment. Just as in archery, the bow has the capacity to shoot the arrow only when it is pulled, Buddha nature is latent within every one of us, but needs to be realized. It needs to be made real through practice. Dogen says about practice in the Fukan Zazengi, the instructions to Zazen, cease from practice based on intellectual understanding and learn the backward step that turns your light inwardly to illuminate the self. So this is our practice, and we're all doing that very faithfully. <laughs> and just as light and dark are in harmony with each other, because one could not exist without the other. So we can learn to accept differences, dualities, as necessary for our experience of this world. We can learn not to hold on to our own concepts and opinions, but we can be in conversation with others. We can learn from each other. So maybe both of us can come to a new and deeper understanding. It says in the Lotus Sutra, enlightenment needs a Buddha and a Buddha. It is crucial for a transformation of the world that we do this work ourselves and support others in their own endeavors. And now I'm very happy to receive any questions or comments anywhere, either here in the room or online. I don't know how you do it. If you, I think if you just uh, unmute yourself and just start talking. So uh, thank you so much, Raven. Uh, David Ray as uh, Zoom host, would you please um, call on people in our Zoom room or in, or in our Ebenezer Zender room, or uh, let's give time also for people at the Milwaukee Zen Center who have comments or questions. So please feel free to uh, give, uh, offer questions or comments or responses to Rayrin. So uh, for people here, uh, you can raise your hand or go to the participant window and use the raise hand function. And David, would you please call on people? Uh, 
Yes, yes, I will. And here, uh, here at Ancient Dragon, uh, if, if you have a question, I, I can't see everyone, so maybe you, if you just if you just say your name. And everyone in all the spaces, if you would please say your name first, since uh, no one can see all the other participants. But I do see that Brian's hand is up here on Zoom. Thank you very much. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Um, first of all, Raren, thank you very much for a fairly comprehensive talk uh, covering, uh, as someone else once said, the whole enchilada. <laughs> um, I also want to say um, personally that uh, I don't know if you recognize me, but in 2018 and 19, I was going up to Milwaukee fairly regularly, and I sat with your group uh, a number of times including uh, the time when Ben Connolly was giving mm -hmm. a special talk and others. So it's very nice to, to see and hear you again. Uh, and I hope to get back up there when, uh, you know, restrictions are eased and, and things are, are moving freely again. Um, so that's pretty much it. I, I, I don't have anything to add or detract or, or ask about from your talk. I think you covered everything quite excellently. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Mary Lou? Good morning. Thank you. Thank you, Ray Ren. Exquisite talk. I actually had to um, take notes and try to pause and reflect. I My question is, could you say a little bit more about the presence of darkness in the light? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think it's quite clear when when we look anywhere that that it, you don't have ever absolute light. I mean, I don't know. Maybe somebody had that experience, but it's usually um, it's usually both. We cannot really see one without the other. Um, it, it, I think it would be not natural to see uh, light without dark but this is this is a metaphor anyway so we're talking about uh, the necessity of the two sides being in relationship and since we don't like both equally usually i mean sometimes maybe we are neutral and it's just fine but but usually we 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 attach to one side and so the Buddha asks us, be careful with that. Follow the middle path. The middle path is not exactly straight either, so be careful. So we're always kind of veering off a little bit here or there, but that's okay. We need to know that we're doing that. As long as I know that I really would like to have light, I'm quite happy that there is the dark. You know, we couldn't live without dark. So the winter is necessary for the summer to be, you know, and it's quite difficult when you live in a place where it's always almost always summer <laughs> so yeah so that's I, I think it's really uh, that's how we can see the the two dualities needing each other being in relationship thank you Mary Lou Susan it's uh, it's like yin and yang you know the the symbol where but my favorite way of thinking about about light and dark is genderized. I think of the sun as the ruler of the day, the masculine, and the feminine, the queen of night, as the dark. And, and but the two of them are obviously, you know, they're inextricably related and married. But uh, but I also think about the deep earth. That's darkness, you know, and the our own interior, the interior of our bodies is darkness, and it's all feminine. The darkness is actually the feminine element, but then we and then we have the moon, the eye of the sky, which is also feminine. So anyway, there is always a relationship between the masculine right. principle and the feminine, and they're always in a dance. That's how I think about it. Thank you, Susan. I don't know. Did everybody hear her? Okay, good. Yeah. So the yin and yang, obviously, and and it's we don't say that one is better than the other. Obviously, they are, and even in, when you have the the symbol, um, you know that looks like the two fishes. Uh, that you have a, a black dot in the in the white, and the white dot in the black. 
and also in the five ranks, I don't know if you're familiar with the teachings that it's it's the same way that they're always related, that you cannot have one without the others. It's the same. It's it's always the same teaching, right? <laughs> thank you, Susan. Eric. Raren, thank you. Um, I it strikes me that this isn't a you know particularly appropriate metaphor for the time that we're living through, a time of pandemic. Um, you know, easy to see the pandemic as the darkness, as, as ill health, as opposed to the normalcy of health and light. But I, do you see or does the Zen tradition see them together? I mean, I just wonder if there's a Zen way of looking at the pandemic, which allows us to hold rather than push away our fear and pain or whatever we've all experienced coming through this pandemic and, and hold it in a different way, allow it to be there. Can, can you, I mean, does that make sense to you? Could you yes. talk about that a little bit? Yes, for sure. Yes. I think um, in the early teachings, which we're actually uh, talking, we're studying and practicing in, in the class right now, we're looking at the early teachings and they were about renunciation letting go, I mean, actually pushing away pretty much all the negative stuff and just cultivating the positive so that, you know, you are free from all the kleshas and all this. Now, in, in Mahayana, we actually say, no, we are embracing all parts of it. And we learn from that and we transform it. So our path is not the path of renunciation, but the path of transformation. So we're transforming the negative into the positive, into wisdom. And that is, that's the practice that is really very, it's not easy. And it's really needs a very, a lot of practice to really see that, that even the worst thing may have a positive effect in some way. Maybe not for me right now. But for somebody, you know, in some, we don't know. That's the whole thing. We don't know reality. We only see this little part. And, and that's usually the part that I want, right? <laughs> so, no, let's, let's see, like, if we can see more bigger, you know, the bigger uh, reality and include the negative, but try to transform it into a wholesome does that say? Yeah, I was just going to ask you if, if you remember, if you could tell that story, share the story of the father of the young soldier, uh, you know, where the, where the son is, is kicked by a horse and injured. Oh. And <laughs> could you tell that? Because it's such a terrific Right. Yeah, the farmer and his son. I'm sure that many of you know that story. Um, I'm not, a, I don't know if I can recall the whole thing, but, but um, the farmer had a couple of horses. And one horse ran away. And then his neighbor said, oh, too bad. You lost your beautiful horse. Oh, and he so. said, that's so it is, right? He didn't uh, say that he was terribly unhappy about it. But then that horse came back with another horse, with a wild horse. And now he had three. Well, that's great. Uh, oh, you are very lucky. And the neighbor said, you're very lucky. This is wonderful. Now you have, you have three horses. And he says, let's see. And then um, his son, a young son, he wanted to train the new horse, the wild horse, and he got onto that horse and was kicked off and broke his legs, his leg. And, and the neighbor said, oh, no. Oh, you look what happened to your poor son. And he said, well, let's see. And then the, the military came, the, the soldier, and, and tried to draft him for the war, and he couldn't go because he had a broken leg. And the neighbor said, oh, gosh, you're so really lucky that you didn't have to go. To and, so, and so it goes on and on, right? <laughs> you never know what is good and what is bad. Thank you for reminding us. <laughs> uh, Pat, what is that? iPad Paul, Paul Bisco. Thank you very much. I, uh, I'm a great admirer of your teacher, Fu, Fu Schrader, <laughs> and uh, the Dharma sister. And uh, I'm very glad to hear you talk today. Uh, but, you know, metaf metaphors are nice, but in our everyday life, we come down to, to 
to our emotional our emotional reality, mm-hmm. and it seems that we are gravitated towards uh, happiness. We like happiness rather than sadness, or rather than not happiness. And even even some esteemed teachers uh, praise happiness. Uh, what is your view of happiness? Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for saying that, uh, mentioning that, because there is actually, I would say, a fundamental that it is beyond the dualities, and I would call that happiness. So you know, some you know, it, it's not easy to talk about happiness because it's not an emotion in this in this way. It's it is really a state of being um, that's beyond all earthly feelings. I don't know. Maybe Tygen can can talk more about that. It's uh, I see that more as the fundamental, ultimate reality that often in in Christian um, mythology, this is called God and, you know, whatever we call it, but it is, it's it's beneficial and it is goodness. It's, but it's not, it's not what we usually ascribe to it. So Tiger, do you want to say more to this difficult to talk about? (laughs) Thank you, Ray, and I appreciated everything you said. And, you know, happiness is uh, a challenging ideal because sometimes we try and grasp after happiness and do all kinds of things to get happiness. <laughs> um, I, I like the way you said it. Uh, I would call what you said that it's all together, all the dualities. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I refer to that as wholeness, mm-hmm. that we have this uh, capacity to be upright and feel the wholeness of everything. Just the, uh, Somebody asked about the pandemic, and just to say briefly that, of course, the pandemic has terrible has been terrible and many 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 people have died or have lost uh, uh, resources or uh, are been sick but we've also received the benefit from the pandemic of this zoom world where we now have on this zoom page and I don't know we, well we have Milwaukee and we have Chicago but we also have uh, Ohio and and couple people from California and Pennsylvania and New York. So uh, we have, we see interconnectedness at the same time that we see the sadness. So um, it's all, it's all here. <laughs> Thank you, Raven. Thank you, Paul, for that question. Maybe we um, need to meditate more on that. <laughs> David? Eve, go ahead. Okay. Um, I just wanted to thank you very much for the talk. And it was a good compliment to the walk we, some of us took yesterday. I, I wanted to report on that. Um, Geoshin Laurel Ross um, took us, uh, Brian uh, was part of it. I don't know if anybody else now present online was, was part of the walk, but. Um, she took us for a walk in, in Graceland Cemetery, so we were balanced between light and dark, since it's the equinox, and between life and death. And and we, we saw a bald eagle in a tree eating a rabbit, or we were pretty sure that's what it was. because And we saw the guts, the entrails from the rabbit, they fell on the ground, and little bits of fur. And, um, and, and we saw... We saw a coyote that was looking at us when we were in the car on the way out. Um, and we saw some ducks that came up to us. And I mean, I just, the animals there are pretty tame. They didn't, you know, like ducks came right up to us. And I, I'm, anyway, so my question about that is I mean, the bald eagle obviously fits in with your talk and the birth and death and light and, and dark. And but I was also wondering about the role of other sentient beings and, and our relationship to other sentient beings in, in awakening. Well, um, I cannot really answer that. Obviously, we're all connected, not even just to sentient beings, but even to non sentient beings also, and, and certainly to the sun. 
who knows if the sun has sent you, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, it's all connected. It, it's all one world. It's one reality. So um, we don't, you know, we don't take any part out of it and say, well, but that's not, that's not really, <laughs> you know, no, no, it's all, it's all included. I mean, you couldn't have a rabbit, you know, who, who is living forever. It needs to be food for, for the eagle, right? <laughs> so, I mean, there are always these connections and that may not be so nice for the rabbit right now because it's being eaten, but there will be new rabbits. And if there were too many rabbits, that wouldn't work either. You know, they would get sick. Actually, I saw that happen in one area in Germany where, where there were no more um, natural predators and, and there were too many rabbits and they got sick and that was a terrible endemic. Um, so it doesn't work. We need a multiplicity of everything. And only when it's like a, a balance then it can work really well. But it will always go out of balance again, right? This is entropy. <laughs> so we're always working on, we always have to manage our way through this muddle. <laughs> Thank you for that story. And Brian, do you want to say something again? Oh, just a quick add, added note to the happiness topic that Paul Disco raised and we were all mulling. Um, it reminded me of reading I did long ago in Aristotle, uh, I think in his oh. ethics, possibly, where he defined happiness, and you can throw whatever label you want on, in, in, aside from the word happiness, you could call it oneness. He said that we all have values that we seek to achieve uh, so that we can seek or, or achieve other values. You know, we go to work to get money, and we get money to buy things and we have the things to, but, but he says happiness is the one value that we don't acquire to get something else. It is self-sufficient. Uh, and, um, I forget his exact language. Maybe David Ray, you have that, uh, in, in knowledge, but, um, happiness in Aristotle's definition was, was a state mm -hmm. that we seek which is a state where we seek nothing else. It, it's the final, you know, it's, it's the final state wherein all things are just, you know, sufficient, I guess. I'm not, I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but mm -hmm. uh, I thought that was a nice, that reminded me the, the reminding of Aristotle was a, a nice sort of blending of East and West that, as you said, it's all one teaching And I think, you know, the deeper we get into Western teachings, we find similarities to the Eastern teachings, you know. Thank yes. you. Thank you, Brian. Susan? I was thinking uh, the word that came to me as he was talking was enoughness. Enoughness. <laughs> If we have enough, we can be happy. Yeah. It's also called content, contentment. Content. Yeah. Now, that's not so easy, right? <laughs> not in a materialistic world, it's not. Uh, Brian? Yes, there's a there's a question in the Zendo here. Hey, great. Uh, I was reminded of uh, Louis Armstrong singing "The Dark Sacred Night," and um, oh, I'm Jan. And um, but but my question is this: uh, speaking of dualities, one of the things that is really promoted is the duality of good and evil. And I think both, maybe not evil, but good is misnamed there because I know a person who knows what good is. And this person puts down other people because they are not good. And good is not, I mean, pardon the expression, a good word for what it is that we mean when we're speaking of the opposite of evil. I think evil is well named but good is not it might be um, um, justice or something other than uh, other than what we call good uh, could you talk about good and evil and um, what you think it means 
Well, thank you. Yeah, that's, of course, that's the hard one, right? Um, yeah, I, you know, I come from Germany. I, I know very well about the Second World War. You know, there's some, there was a lot of suffering, my own family. There's trauma that's intergenerational that's still happening. It, it's very, very difficult to deal with. And, and this was, yeah, this was evil. Um, this is very clear. However, I mean, for one thing, where did it come from? Why did this one person want to get rid of all Jews? You know, I mean, that, that, that if you see his upbringing, his childhood, his education, and his whole culture, culturation, um, and then the situation <coughs> in Germany where he thought that the, these people had the power and you know so it was there was a lot of things that that have had that was part of that why this evil was arising so it doesn't come from nowhere it is it comes from causes and conditions just like anything else it's not an absolute either so um you know when uh, it's very difficult i mean i i find it hard myself to embrace evil <laughs> and I wouldn't actually embrace it, but I certainly want to send compassion to the worst people in the world, because if they could, if I could help them to let go of their ways, that would really benefit all of us. So, but, you know, I know that Putin has certain ideas that he totally believes and he thinks this is true and this is just, and this is right. It's all, yeah, it's, it doesn't really make sense for, for us, but from his point of view, you know, and that's, so by, why did he have that? You know, why did, does he need this power? You know, it's, it's our shortcomings as humans, I think. And um, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I don't know how to address this really. Of course, it would be great if we didn't have evil in the world. But this is this is samsara. This is the world of suffering, and it, we need to deal with it in some way. We need to find a way how to deal with it, how to actually bring justice to the world if we can hold up to this and and you know uh, not give in to to injustice and uh, and to evil ways, but to work on our own. You know, because we are, there is also evil in all of us. I mean, as we know, it, we we all have tendencies. You know, black and white tendencies, all good and bad. It's it's not just one way. But we may be luckier. Maybe our childhood wasn't so bad, and our enculturation, our education was more positive towards wholeness. Then we're lucky. But we could have. Ex- in the same way, we could have grown up in a different situation. And then that stuff would have come out. You know, we, we have it all in us. So I don't want to judge, you know, anybody too harshly. That's all I can say. Thank you. I don't see anybody else. No. So, last chance. Uh, we have time. If anybody has some reflections, comments, um, this is a very deep, deep topic and very much part of our reality. David Ray? Yes. Um Reverend, thank you so much for your for your talk and, and that wide range of references in Buddhist teaching. So um, we are here just now starting a, a monthly reading group, uh, uh, reading Nagarjuna, uh, and it was wonderful to me that you mentioned that text. So I'm starting to think about emptiness philosophically and you know thinking about it as the amazing intellectual problem that it that it is. Um, I'm thinking about like the um, the thought about 
opposites and one being more fundamental than the other. In other words, you know, between absolute and if if darkness stands for the absolute and light stands for the relative, does that mean that the dark is more fundamental than the light? Um, and and it, you know, does, does like fundamentalness does does that open up to to a kind of infinite regress? If if you know, if, if I'm talking about the harmony of sameness and difference, is it is it the harmony of the harmony and disharmony of of, of sameness and difference? Um, or is it just that the mind can't get to this place that is beyond the the dualities? So I, th- those are things I'm thinking about. Yeah, thank you, David. Um, yeah, we are in a in our very limited world where we have limited understanding and you know i think the buddha was lucky and there are some other people who have complete enlightenment maybe not quite complete because as long as you're in this body mind you will still be they have to deal with karma even if you if you think you're beyond and you don't get caught with it anymore but you need to pay attention <laughs> so um um, yeah, well, it's, it's there, you know, there are different teachings. And I, I said that on purpose that Zen doesn't really hold on. We don't say Majamaka is the absolute true teaching. We don't say Yogacara is, but we say, yeah, they, there's really, there's, they have a good, there's good evidence that there is some truth to that. And so uh, there are other teachings, right? It's not just one truth. That would be absolute. And maybe there is, but it's not accessible from this body-mind. It would only be accessible if I could completely let go. And we can learn. We can learn to get to let go to a certain degree so that we can understand more, that we see more of reality. And But Zen says for, for sure that the phenomenal and the and the um so the relative truth and the absolute or ultimate are really not separate. That is our teaching. They are the same. You are already Buddha. We just can't see it. <laughs> so I, I hold to that one. I, I like that one. <laughs> uh, so if we are present with our experience, if we can really be here now in this body mind and watch it really be be awake maybe you'll get a glimpse of what's really true but you know i i don't want to say that i can do it <laughs> but i mean it's definitely a, a good thing to study nagarjuna and you know these people who lived a thousand years ago they had a lot of wisdom and obviously, they saw things already that we are now finding in quantum physics, right? I mean, they, they knew these things already. How could they know that? <laughs> so they were in touch with reality in a very different way. They didn't have the instruments that we have at our disposal now. But they had a very deep insight that they could access. And I think we need a quieter place to, for, for that you know we are already too involved with the material you know the matter and all these things that are happening constantly it's it's very difficult for us to really get out of that you know so um, but yeah we can try Brian your hand is up still do you still want or is it just uh, I can, but I fear that I'm talking too much. And, no, that's and, okay. <laughs> um, uh, it, it was only that the last two topics, uh, both the good and evil topic and the Nagarjuna, uh, I have a, a suggestion as to how to view that, uh, to answer the question about how to approach good and evil. Um, so the emptiness teachings would say that one of the ways we understand emptiness is, and, and the conventionality of things is that our minds reify, as you said in your talk. And one of the practical ways that we reify is we name things, we label things. Right. And so when one is confronted with a situation, <clears throat> if one just 
intuitively, immediately, uh, reactively labels it an evil situation or a good situation or an evil person or a good person, well, you've now reified that situation or person and all kinds of associations come along with that and all kinds of possibilities are cut off. Um, and, And my thinking is that a good way to apply the emptiness teachings is or to see the the empty nature of things is, you know, if if you approach a, what you th- immediately instinctively think of as an evil situation or an evil person, if rather you catch yourself in that labeling mm-hmm. and you say, well, this, like everything, is just a b- dependently arisen process. Right. It's very unfortunate for many people right now, uh, hugely unfortunate. But if we look at it as a process with many causes and conditions, then... I think that allows us, you know, it doesn't shackle our attitude and close down possibilities. There's a, we see an openness of, of other ways of approaching a situation to maybe change it. As opposed, you know, when when we do ally, when we dualize, uh, now we've we've constricted everything into this or that, mm-hmm. you know, and and that cuts off possibilities. And you know, and one of the and I'll just I'll, I'll add the final thing that, you know, when we talk about the middle way uh, and to bring in Western logic again, we in the West, we're taught things are this or that. It's it's one or the other. And we've excluded. It's called the excluded middle. So the middle way really is saying it's not necessarily this little point between one or the other. The middle way says there's neither this nor that. It's it's, uh, you know, an interconnected whole of all kinds of possibilities. And so that's how I see the usefulness of, of seeing the emptiness of all things is that you, you catch yourself when you label and you catch yourself when you find yourself closing down because of that labeling. Um, and you think, okay, how could I rethink this situation or this person to see them as a process and to maybe have some compassion and maybe have some wisdom as to how better to, uh, deal with it. So that would be my. Thank you, comment. Brian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I've already talked about this, that, that the middle path is not just one straight line. It, it it does include everything. And I like what you said about process. Process is really, uh, it means everything is constantly evolving and there is not one fixed um, anything. It, it, it's already changing. It's already changed. So when and when we bring things together, when we uh, have conversation with each other, something new will arise. And and the more we are open to the other person, to you know, to our other, we can bring to birth some new ideas. Some maybe something that wasn't there before, and that. And that can grow maybe into a good situation. So I think it's really important to to be open to interaction. And and it's unfortunate that we were so long that we were uh, distant from each other physically. However, as Tygen said already, we already got more people on Zoom now. You know, we also have a person who usually comes from Germany. And so we have connections now that we that we that weren't so easy before. Um, but at the same time, I think it's really important to be with people in real life and real form to feel to feel the the physical, the body uh, real reality that is so important, and the facial expression, all that 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 is more than just the physical. You know, so that's. Um, Yeah, the body mind is is really an incredible thing, and um, if we are open to that, that this is not a separate entity, but we are all part of this whole amazing reality that we do not understand. If if there's time for another question, there's there's another question here in the Dragon Thendo. Yes, this is Brian Taylor. and this is, is Paul Disco still with us here? Yes. Um, Paul, this is really an invitation to you if you feel so inclined to, I wonder if you had a comment that was related to your question about happiness in, in regards to this conversation today. 
Um, well, yes, I have quite a bit to say on the subject, but I'm not sure it's appropriate right now. Um, I think that I think that we're we're all caught, especially in the Western world, we're caught with this idea of happiness, and we're we we chase after happiness, and and just like just like the uh, the eagle eating the rabbit in the tree, um, we we think we think about the uh, you know we're 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 we're, we're rooting for the for the rabbit we're 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 looking for the good the good and and trying to get away from the evil we're looking for the easy and trying to get away from the hard and it leads us into doing a whole lot of things that are that are actually quite destructive such as um having bigger and better uh, weapons and 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 having b- bigger and better uh, uh, uh Making things out of plastic so that they can so that they will last forever and we won't have to we won't have to um, uh, we can we can preserve our food forever. I mean, just countless things we've got involved in searching for happiness that are making an imbalance in the world that um, I think is contributing to 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 our situation now as we are, which is different than it was 100, 200 years ago. Um, Anyway, so I, I just I think that happiness has to be reexamined. Yeah, I think that is not what we mean by happiness in a in a spiritual sense. Uh, it's just a greed, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, wanting something, and that you know that is that is rooted in fear because I think I'm separate and I need more, and and when I have enough, but that's not enough. I need more because there's always this. This, you know, I, I'm not quite sure. I should, I should, you know, put things away because something is going to happen. And you know, this fear that we constantly have that we live with, and that makes us want to be happy. But that kind of happiness is not what we're talking about in, in spiritual terms. So I think we have to make a clear distinction there. Right. Yeah. It seems and, to me that that. Our Buddhist teachings do present that clear distinction, and it's it's compassion. Compassion, that right. The happiness that we derive in our lives actually comes from understanding wisdom and applying compassion so that it's never an inward-focused happiness. We're not right. finding happiness within us. We're finding it as an external motivation towards all sentient beings in the form right. of our compassion. You have spoken about this so many times to us, that this, this practice is not an internalized, introspective, passive practice. Compassion is an external force, is an external energy. That's where we connect yeah. our interconnectedness. The compassion is such an important component that we can't forget. Well, I think we should use a different word then because happiness means, means something else to the majority of, of, human, of humans. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. uh, contentment is something different than happiness. Right. And... and uh, and, and and compassion or or uh, uh, seeing seeing yourself as others is not is is of course a kind of happiness, but it's not the happiness that is generally talked about in the big world. Right. I think I think Paul, this is this is the the misunderstanding because um, it is true as Eric said when when we let go of the self and we feel that we are one with the other, we have compassion for each other. It's actually, once you're doing something for others, you feel happy. It, it's, you know, it's very different from getting something, you know, which may make you happy for, you know, maybe this kind of satisfaction that is just doesn't last very long. You know, you order something from Amazon and as soon as it comes, you want something else, <laughs> you know, it's not it's not the same as when you are giving, when you are being patient with somebody, when you're listening to somebody, when you really completely be with that person, with their suffering, then you can feel something very deep. And I would call that happiness. Thank you very much, Paul. It's good to see that difference. I think this is probably... Um, enough for today (laughs) thank you very much for letting us be with you and uh, as i said it would be great to see there in person now you're sitting in a church at the ebenezer church um and i really hope that one day soon you can have your own place again 
Um, so I know that there is a lot of activity going on. Douglas has told me about, you know, fundraising and, and looking at uh, possible places, maybe even building, um, you know, that, that sounds really wonderful. And I really want to be there soon. So I think in the summer I will come in for a visit. <clears throat> Thank you, Raven. 